please, come in. Hello. Hello. He's a stranger. We're just gonna let him sleep in our house. Hello. Hello. Did you know he had a wife? For those of you with heart conditions, or may have impressionable young youths listening, you may want to shield their ears for what we're about to discuss. Welcome to the Wages of Cinema. I am Andrew. And I am Jack. For a second I thought we were going to switch places there for a second. Yeah. Because we don't know which which way is up or which I, way is down. I certainly don't know which way is up anymore. Uh, we got two guest stars with us. We got the ever-present Corey, Jack's wife. Hello. And yes. we've got guest star Matt. What is reality? <laughs> well, that's a good question to ask after a Darren Aronofsky film, and especially the one that we just visaged, because uh, we just got back from Mother! Yes. Is that a way to say it? Yes, you have to shout it. <laughs> yes, because it... Well, it's it's a weird title, by the way, because it's, it's meant to be seen, like, in lowercase. Like, not... You know, Mother is not uppercase. Oh, yeah, that makes all the difference. <laughs> <laughs> To Darren Aronofsky, clearly it does. That's yeah. like... He has a very finicky graphic designer, but... Yeah. Well, uh, uh, right. we'll leave it to the guy whose first movie was 3.14... Right. Um, I'm curious, by the way, before we get to talking about the movie... I'm Now, because we've talked about Black Swan right. on the podcast I, I did before. A, I did a... Um, Cinema, Cinema Immersion, immersion Tank. You can't even remember the name of it now. I can't remember anything after <laughs> seeing this film. Um, I feel like you, Darren Aronofsky punched me in the brain. Now, had you seen, have you seen other Aronofsky movies? I've seen Pie. I've seen Requiem for a Dream. Okay. Uh, I have not seen The Fountain or The Wrestler. And no, not Noah. Certainly I've not seen Noah. I'd be even curious. Even though Noah seems like a good time, I haven't seen it yet. I think you would like Noah just because, like... In this, in a sim, in a weird way, a little bit like the movie Silence. It's like a movie that kind of questions one's faith in very like big terms. Yeah, and if you want to start questioning things, go see Mother. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Oh man! Where to start, Corey? Where do we start? This is bananas. <laughs> B a n a n a s. Well, can you give us like a little? A, a little, I, uh, a I little rundown like, of what of what Mother is about. I feel like I sat in on Darren Aronofsky's therapy sessions. I almost interpreted this movie as some kind of self indictment on his part, or some kind of self examination slash self incrimination. Mm. The basic plot of the movie is that Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, who play unnamed protagonists, which even though I enjoyed this movie on the whole and I liked it and I would recommend it as wacky as it is, deliberately unnamed protagonists drive me up the wall. Like Were, they, were they unnamed? Yes. No name. Well, I mean, In the, the, the credits, credits, Javier Bardem is credited as him. Jennifer Lawrence is credited as mother. That's why I picked up on, like, it's funny because after the movie, I I kind of briefly turned to Corey and said, did any of, and with that, this is not spoiling anything, but 
Did any of the last part remind you a little bit of Antichrist? Well, the reason why Good I don't... Good thing no one's seen that. Well, which also, the, 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 two main characters, the two main characters in that are also called him and her. The reason I don't like unnamed protagonists is every time I've seen a movie where the protagonists have no name, it becomes apparent to me at long before the end of the film, they are awkwardly dodging around using names. It's always awkward. Every time you watch an entire film and no one ever calls each other by name, there are always, there are always, it's always contrived. There's always a moment, at least one in a film, where a character's name would and should be used, but it's not. This is a minor point. I'm derailing. Okay. Well, so we so Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem, and Javier Bardem is referred to as the poet multiple yeah, times in the he, film. He's a poet in this film. But they are ensconced in one of these typical movie houses that's giant <sighs> and, you know, full of creepy furniture and totally isolated, a totally stereotypical movie house. Uh, he... And weird guests arrive a lot. Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer are the first ones. Ed Harris, who... Uh, is basically coughing up a lung in this movie. And Michelle Pfeiffer, who... Man, is I miss Michelle Pfeiffer so much. So <laughs> good. <laughs> she She's the wife who... Let me just say this about the first... I'm going to say about the first two-thirds of the movie. You could also call... Here's what I would say. Here's what I was thinking. You could also call this movie, instead of Mother, in big, gigantic, block capital letters, like... Uh, like the way we saw the title, The Defenders, is giant black letters, or, or yeah. the movie Grindhouse. This movie should be called Passive Aggressive, the movie. <laughs> I was going to go with Terrible House Guests, the movie. No, yeah. No, my title would be The Introvert's Nightmare. Oh my god! <laughs> I was thinking that the whole time! You and I, my friend. High five. I was thinking that the whole film. Introvert's this is nightmare? an introvert's nightmare. Yes. Hmm. Jennifer Lawrence is like, just wants to live in her house, and then people keep showing up, and then more people keep showing up. Do you know who's up. gonna? It's, oh man! Do you know who's gonna be like really unnerved by this movie? Who? Our friend Heather. Yes. Because she's like such a jerk. But you know what also came to mind through the first part of the movie, or I say the first part, I say the first two thirds, because we'll get to the last third. Trust me, there will oh. be one of our longest <laughs> spoiler discussions ever. Will be that. At first, I was trying to pinpoint, like, stylistically, okay, what is Aronofsky going for here? And the advertisements, there, there is a poster out there where they took the design of Rosemary's Baby, the, the image of Mia Farrow's head set against, you know, like a, an image of a crib and the house, and it was very spooky. And they took I the same not, image. I had not seen that poster. Yeah, so I had seen that, and I thought... Also, with all, in the trailer, you see all these guests coming in, and it's very, like, this couple who, you know, the, the woman's very, like, what's going on here? And I was like, no, no, don't, don't, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And more people come in and come in, and it's like, oh, my God, what's going on? I thought of Rosemary's Baby, and I thought, all right, is he going to go, like, the Roman Polanski route, where um, maybe also The Tenant came to me a little bit with this movie, watching it, too. <laughs> the Tenant. But... Also, what actually what ultimately I settled on, there's a bit of a Boonwellian streak in this yeah. movie. Yeah, there's a bit. 
big Buñuel in the street. Which, the key in, a, in a good way. Though, the key difference, though, between Buñuel and this is, in Buñuel, uh, there is no self-awareness. Everybody in that situation kind of goes along with stuff, no matter how odd it is. Yeah. And no one ever stops to say, wait a minute. Hmm. But then, now, in, insert into a Buñuel film a normal person who sees yeah. the world in a normal way. That's Jennifer Lawrence. And then it becomes the most unnerving thing you've ever experienced. Yeah, that, and that's the framing. You know, it's constant. It's from her point of view. Even though, I guess, if, now it all makes sense after the movie's ended, but at first I was wondering to myself, okay, so we're not getting to really know Jennifer Lawrence at all. Maybe this will, maybe eventually we'll find out more about her. Maybe it's by design that it's really more so just about the story of these guests coming in and... As I said, it's passive-aggressive on parade. It's scene after scene of, oh, uh, are, are you sh Yeah, no, no, do you, you want to do this? Are you sure? You want to no, stay? No, 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 it's oh, fun. it's no trouble. No, no, no we'll, we'll stay. Yeah. Uh, if it's okay. Oh, <laughs> it is so uncomfortable. It is so crazy. I, you were to my left, and you were squirming in your seat. So you were you. You were constantly <laughs> looking at me during this movie. I know. I I had a similar reaction to a lot of different things because Jennifer Lawrence has those reactions too. Where we're very where Javier Bardem makes very odd decisions, and yeah. it's not that necessarily that the things he does are very odd. It's just he comes to those decisions without even asking for her, asking for permission, exactly, or even consulting. Her. And that's the key thing. It's uh, like you were talking, Corey, a moment ago about how like we feel like this might be like us inside of Darren Aronofsky's therapy session and he might be indicting himself or something like that. But I wanted to say, I almost feel like he, I was going to go a step further and say like he was kind of indicting like a whole culture of like toxic masculinity where the man always gets kind of what he wants, even though it's not really spoken. And the woman is just supposed to kind of be subservient and take it and go along with the flow. Yeah. And Jennifer Lawrence in this film on the one hand, she really twists herself into knots to maintain um, a sense of superficial politeness with these weird social boundary violating people who have invaded her house. Yeah. So she is smiling in a grimacy way through all their weirdness and serving them tea and getting them sheets. And her reaction to them is pretty controlled yeah. and it's pretty um but watching her battle between her obvious annoyance and the sense and of discomfort yeah her discomfort <laughs> her irritation yet the overwhelming social pressure the yeah. social contract to be, yeah to be kind to be polite even when people don't deserve it and the what? reason why I thought this was an indictment of Aronofsky, maybe specifically, um, and I'm sure this is something we'll explore more in spoilers, because of what this film seems to say about the creative process, specifically. <laughs> yeah, there is that. Yeah. Like, I almost felt a little guilty watching this, like, for a moment, because I, I, I sometimes, I like to write, but then... Occasionally, I'll also have a dry spell where I can't come up with anything, and that's part of Javier Bardem's conflict because he is having, you know, he, he he's blocked. He, he can't come up with anything to write, 
and he kind of sees Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer as possibly a way to inspire him in, in some way he's not totally sure of. Um, but it's also... But, but I, I, I promise you I will never invite people over to try to get inspired. Jack will never write again. <laughs> yeah, uh, this movie makes me afraid to be creative. Javier uh, Bardem is playing a poet, and he's playing apparently a famous poet, which means he's like on the lower rung of celebrity. So Yeah, I was going to say, famous poets are not a thing. In yeah, what, what are we watching? Unless, unless you're Robert Frost, then <laughs> nobody knows who you are. But he's he, he's written a book, but now he hasn't done that in a while. Yeah. And then these people show up, and he just kind of welcomes them in. Uh, his reasons, we're not quite sure. I can't. I won't talk too much about why he does this and what we learn about him. But, you know, he he's looking for that spark to write again, and yet he's talking to all these people who he doesn't even know. Hmm. And it's really freaky how friendly he is with them, even though he just met them 15 minutes ago. Yes, exactly. This movie also, aside from Boonwell and Rosemary's Baby, also reminded me a little bit of High Rise. Is anyone have you I seen have not Rise? seen that I, yet. It's on Netflix, so you should do that. I've seen movies a little bit like that one. I'm trying to... I don't know. Well... Uh, no, I haven't. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, but that's it's it's a good J.G. Ballard adaptation. Something it reminded me of, only in sort in sort of terms of tone and, uh, no, not tone. It's the sort of like feeling, the sort of tension you get from it is uh, After Hours. Well, it, because yeah, because I, I, I can see what you're thinking of in a way. You, not, you, you not guys quite. know After Hours, right? Yeah. After Hours, it's it's the same sort of idea where you're this normal person and you go and you're in this sort of normal life and then through no fault of your own and through like the craziest people around you yeah. keep getting into trouble yeah I, it's I, that kind of tension that keep keeps ratcheting up because even though jennifer lawrence stays polite throughout and is trying to be nice and is trying to be considerate to these people she doesn't know mm-hmm. you know in that you know she's she has the right to do to say get out but she's very polite for her husband's sake but everyone keeps turning on her well also well, even though she does nothing yeah well, <laughs> well you make you make kind of an interesting point i think that the one similarity i can see of what you're talking about is when you're watching after hours you all and also this you kind of wonder all right at what point is she finally going to explode on these people because yeah. you're kind of waiting for that you're waiting for that moment of okay like like the audience, you you just want to unload on these fuckers, right? And, and it's like Griffin Dunn in, in After Hours. Yeah. He finally has that monologue where he's like, "Here's what happened to me, not by fault, but this where everything's I, going crazy." Where Everyone I might, where, like, I'm, where, I'm where, I might, where I might differ with you though is I think that movie was trying to be a little more intentionally comedic. Well, yeah, this one, I, this one th- there plays is humor. It really straight. Yeah, this one ends up you have humor in that way of like, in ex. A thing that actually came to mind for me was Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, I thought that too, because I did laugh during this movie multiple times, but it's cringe comedy. You're laughing at the discomfort of... The difference is that... The discomfort of the protagonist, you're laughing at the violation of social norms, and it's this cringy laughter. And it's almost... I kind of 
shock laughed multiple times mm, at this movie. Me too. Because I was just so shocked by what I was seeing, and I was so shocked that this uh, movie happened. I, I actually, this just reminds me, one of the things I love about going to the movies with you, Matt, is just because you'll be laughing at things in the theater that no one else is, yeah. and it's just like... There, there was a. <laughs> it's kind of a joy. There was a medium-sized crowd uh, to see this movie. Yeah, there were. And I, I'm pretty sure that only the four of us were laughing in that film. There might have been a couple laughs here and there. I think at the end of this movie, I experienced something that I don't know if you you can correct me, Corey, but you remember when we saw it comes at night? Yes. Like I think that we kind of experienced a little bit of that at the end of this movie. I overheard people going like. Oh, what the, what the hell was that? Yeah, I feel I like I wasted my time, and and it comes at night. Actually, that was one of the more angry audiences I've ever experienced. Like at the end of that, I heard somebody next to me just go, "That was fucking bullshit!" <laughs> <laughs> like out loud, like they were. The angry. moral of the story is: don't go to see real movies on a Friday <laughs> night because the audience are a bunch of knuckle draggers and they can't handle movies that make them think. You heard it here first: Wages of Cinema. Don't see real movies. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't see real movies like in a... We didn't see this in a multiplex. We saw it in a standalone movie theater. But, well, no, it was a multiplex. We didn't see it in a mall. It's one of the smaller the multiplexes. So, but the nice chairs. It was still mm. an audience that skewed, you know, very young, very not... Not ready for what this well, film had well, on offer. Well, like if you're it, old, go see this movie. <laughs> if you're old, but not if you have any heart conditions. Well, that's why we said to starve it. Well, um, I think that well, the thing is too. It also comes down to marketing because, and also like it comes at night. That was marketed as like, ooh, here's like this edgy horror movie, and we're gonna see what happens with this. And uh, uh, don't worry about that. Um, but, you know, it turned out to be something quite different. This, people probably went to see it because, you know, it's Jennifer Lawrence, it's Javier Bardem. It looked like something creepy. And, you know, that's what it sold on. They didn't know that, you know, don't forget, you're getting a movie from the director of The Fountain. <laughs> which is, like, still one of the... I still don't know how to explain parts of that movie either. The audience was very well behaved, though. I have to say that. We saw this on a Friday night. It was very... The theater was full. And, you know, I always worry about that because everyone is so poorly behaved in the cinema today. So to get full-on old man yelling at Cloud, get off my lawn, the scourge of people talking <laughs> in, the, in the theater is real. No one has any manners. It's all barbarism. And it's pretty much destroying any love I have for going to see movies in the theater because people talk too much and use their phones and rubbish like that. Corey, but I have Corey, to say, this is a very <laughs> this was a very well behaved audience, which was a pleasant surprise. Look, so getting I'm, back, I'm gonna talk back to, to the movie. Use my phone while you finish. Getting back oh, to the movie. Yes, getting back to the movie. I liked the way how it was shot. That it was even creepier. That like at least a third of the movie was uncomfortable close ups of people's faces. Yeah, like they got it really tight for no reason, so you could just see. Like, the discomfort on Jennifer Lawrence and her reaction shots. That, yeah. film, that camera was always very close to Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Well, that's well, that's also something that, uh, you know, I, I make these com I made the comparisons to Polanski, and he, he has a really great knack at uncomfortable close-ups, too. But, and I, I'm trying to find... close-ups, too. That's my favorite mm -hmm. Roman, Roman Polanski <laughs> sequence. 
But no, um, but this is an Aronofsky movie all the way. And I also thought back to Black Swan, how that also had a lot of very uncomfortable, almost sickening close-ups at times. But Black Swan also shares similar themes. It's all, both of these films are about, are in a way about celebrity or about being, or about being an artist. In, in, or but, at and, but least flip, being near to an artist. But flipped around, though. Because, again, when I talk about the framing is different, in that, um, you know, she, uh, Natalie Portman was, you know, the one who was trying to attain the fame, and she was going, you know, little, you know, really crazy by it. Here, you know, the, Jennifer Lawrence is watching her, her husband becoming famous. Jennifer Lawrence is tangential to the fame. Yeah, but, but that's... it still affects her just as deeply as it affects him. Yeah. I actually want to go back to something else though that you brought up, Corey, because you, when you were going on your little tangent about the, the house, I would one thing though I might say you were right up until except for one thing. I think that I actually liked the house in this a lot. Yeah, <laughs> because the house felt like I wasn't sure what it was. Like, it was like a living, breathing, dark presence. And that's different than, like, other haunted houses in movies where it's just, like, creaky doors and dark hallways. Here, like, Jennifer Lawrence puts her hand on, like, a wall, and all of a sudden we see what's behind the wall. And I won't get into what they show, but it... it In terms of the setting, also, it's just, like... It also felt just so exaggerated to the point where I think it had to be obvious that maybe Aronofsky knew he was dealing with that trope of, like, the the people who are out in the middle of nowhere in a house where no one else is. They don't even have a driveway. That's how like, secluded it is. There are no roads mm. going to yeah. the house. Mm. Yeah, we see a few shots of the house um, externally where the camera pulls back to emphasize the isolation. And yeah, you just see tall grass. with, And the tall grass isn't broken at all. There are no roads. There is no driveway. There is no mailbox. There is no anything. There is no car anywhere. People just kind of teleport there, I guess. More or less. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. Talk about movies that end in exclamation points involve teleporting. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's an in-joke. It is an in-joke. Um, we can explain that. that. way too yeah. No, but we're going to do reference that. Okay, yeah. Andrew and I wrote a movie called Filler, which had an exclamation mark in it, and there was teleportation food in it, and also um, my character and Andrew's character did not have names. Also like this film. Yeah. Darren Aronofsky saw our film. <laughs> yeah! I was in this movie too. Yeah, but you had a name. And so did you. Sure. Um, Jack and I were in this brilliant short film, which was really good, and you guys should see it. It makes more sense than I've seen it. (laughs) Well, your loving audience. All right, all right. Anyway, um, let's go back to the movie. Um, Nah. So I'm trying to think of other things to talk about. Well, there's a lot to talk about here. Um, Acting wise, I think the movie is pretty damn solid, although it almost gets to the point of nearing excess in some parts with that, too. Oh, man. I I, I found it interesting that as I was looking at the screen, Jennifer Lawrence, at certain points, really looked like uh, Natalie Portman did in Black Swan. There's something with her makeup and her hair, and you know the way Darren Aronofsky has her dressed that really echoes that same, that same way that 
uh, Portman looked like in Black Swan. Yeah. Minus the cool makeup. Well, yeah. it'll be interesting if he can ever return again to, like, I, I don't know. Well, I, I don't want to say, like, anything, like, he had, like, a formalism early in his career, like, Requiem for a Dream. No, that was, like, you know, he's, he's always been a super jumpy, energetic guy, or, like, with his movies. Like, even Pie is kind of insane, too. Um... But, uh, it's worth looking at this film in terms of what Darren Aronofsky has done before. Requiem for a Dream is a very harsh look at drug use with a really downbeat ending. It's a, it's a really tragic ending. Yeah. And then you have, okay, Pi, which is the story of a genius uh, about, you know, his life mm-hmm. and you know his search for this unobtainable goal. I mean, okay, I haven't seen anything else, but, you know. Uh, well, well, well <laughs> Noah is, like, a lot of what ties his work together, I think, are kind of obsessive people. Yeah, The, the Fountain yeah. is about doomed romance. And... But I think well, what, yeah. what the deviation from this movie, from all his other work, is I think in his other work he's tended to focus more on the self-destructive nature of obsessive quests and the creative drive. That's certainly what Black Swan was about. Um, but even, like, The Wrestler, I mean, Rick, Mickey Rourke is primarily a self-destructive character, and the Natalie mm. Portman character is a self-destructive character. And, and it's I not entirely her fault, but, yeah, yeah everything that happens there is, is more or less of her own. Everybody name. in Wrecking for a Dream is self-destructive. And I haven't seen yeah. Pi in a long time, but I remember some self-destruction <laughs> in Pi. Yeah. I'm tapping my head. You're for not those you're of not you. a fan of Pi. No, I like Pi. She's oh, just, okay. No, I'm tapping my head because of what that guy does to his head. It's a very specific oh, form I forgot of self-destruction. About that. Yeah, that's yeah. right. In the, but in this movie, it's really focused Pretty, on how But still, even what happens in Pi is super, super subtle. Compared to what Aronofsky <laughs> does in Mother. So this, he's, I think instead of exploring how obsession is self-destructive, he's really exploring how, obse- uh, you know, this obsessive drive is destructive to those around you. So it's not about, like, a person's self-destruction. Mm. It's about their destruction of the people around them and the destruction of the world around them. So yeah. I think it's in kind of an interrogation of the narcissism that comes with that level of drive. The to, selfishness that comes yeah, with right. that level and, of drive. And, but the self-destruction is a little bit there. If you look closely at Jennifer Lawrence and the re- and uh, and her relationship, but it's dwarfed by everything else around it. I don't know. Well, you could maybe say that, but I think what we're led to believe, and maybe this is Aronofsky trying to trust his audience to an extent who are coming in, that you're supposed to believe that they, you know, that this couple has had like a pretty stable relationship for a while. You know, it's almost understood. A stable, if sterile, relationship. A little sterile, yeah. We're led to believe that Javier Bardem, uh, even though he's with uh, Jennifer Lawrence, like, he isn't romantic with her for reasons that aren't totally clear exactly. you're saying she's being self-destructive by not exiting the situation when she can. Well, it's, it's... It's not. Uh, the, it's I not. It's not an obvious situation to leave from. It's not like Javier Bardem. Is, I mean, this isn't a spoiler because it doesn't happen. Javier Bardem isn't beating her. He's not uh, like physically abusing her. But, but he, why? But it is psychologically abusive because he's keeping her 
in like a very oh, suffocating you, relationship. You know what? It's, no. And it's but it's so it's much more subtle than those yeah. examples I gave. It's hard for it's hard for a person in that situation to see it. But that's not why I said it's self destructive though. I uh, I can't talk about that though without going into spoilers. Well, okay. Well, the way that I was also when I was referring to this as passive aggressive, the movie, it doesn't just start with. I mean, it kind of goes into full bloom with Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer. But I feel like it's already there, too, with them in the early scenes. The way that Javier Bardem talks to her, and they have, like, this relationship where she's there for him, but he's not fully, like, he'll say things in a tone sometimes where it's like, oh, do you mean it that way? That's that's a little odd. Like, right. it, it's, it's, and it's not like, you know, again, and she, maybe she isn't reading it to the point where, oh my god, he's so, like, abusing me, I have to get out. You know, but this is also the kind of thing that happens in a lot of relationships where sometimes women put up with a lot of crap because they think that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Women stuff. get taken for granted. Yeah, yes, that, that. that's a big part of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's, like, maybe one of the central themes. <laughs> I have yeah. to wonder if maybe when you talk about Aronofsky dealing with his therapy, I wonder if he's maybe thinking back to Rachel Weiss. Maybe he, like, took her for granted before she jumped ship to Daniel Craig. The fool! Why did he do that to Rachel Weisz? He's fine. He, no, man, he actually, Here's what's ironic. He was, I think, dating Jennifer Lawrence during this movie. Was he? Yeah, they were together. I don't know if they are still together now, but, yeah, they were... They had, did like, a movie thing. Did she not read the script to the film? <laughs> she... I don't know. Maybe she thought, like... Like, God, this is so brilliant. I want to just... Uh, no, you missed the point. Yeah, that's it. the funny thing is though, because she they have Jennifer Lawrence and she is matched up with Javier Bardem, but instead of like the Hollywood thing where it's typical that the leading man has like a leading woman half his age and they just treat like normal, they do actually comment on that in this film. Their it's, age difference. Their age yeah. difference. Like it's not really on the head they talk about it, but it's definitely something that comes up. Leave it to Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah, yeah she yes. references it multiple times. Yeah, and it's it, that's it, where it, part of the uncomfortability <laughs> comes in. Is on a, another Michelle thing, Pfeiffer accounted for 50% of the discomfort level. In yeah. This film. She brought all of her acting power to bear and yeah. made all of us squirm in our seats. And it also, she also, her character brings to fact that it's, you know, also, it's it's, it's often... Most often, men who treat women like crap, but also sometimes women do too. Like the way that you know, she does that thing that you know. I've heard this. You know, as a guy in my thirties, and I'm sure Corey, you've heard this too. Where sometimes people just be like, "Why do you have kids? Why do you have kids yet? You know, you don't know what it's like to be a parent. You know, <laughs> you don't know that." There's that dialogue yeah, in this movie. That, that was very effective. That it was coming out of Michelle Pfeiffer, not one of the male characters. Yeah. yeah, it may it gave it a different tone yeah. than if like because Eddie Harris isn't going to say that, but for Michelle Pfeiffer, all of a sudden it puts Jennifer Lawrence on a special kind of edge, where you know, well, first of all, it's a you know, it's not a good question to ask somebody. Exactly. We've just met that morning. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Jennifer Lawrence. I think she's off balance so much because Jennifer Lawrence never interacts with another character in this movie as an equal. Mm. She's never on equal footing with anyone. So Javier Bardem, there are times when he is affectionate towards her, and there are times when he is super, where his behavior is superficially acceptable. 
but he never treats her as an equal. He never no. treats her like someone who is anything other but someone but someone who exists to satellite him and cater to him and yeah she, I mean, he's the artist she's the wife of an she, artist no she's rebuilding his childhood home that's all her she's doing all the manual yeah. construction yeah. to repair yeah. his house yeah. and he doesn't actually seem to like appreciate that at all that everything she's he just, her labors are for him he, yeah, he, he he doesn't seem to notice her yeah. her efforts at all, or really seem to comment them or mention them or any sort of uh, any any sort of acknowledgement of. Yeah. What she Do you does know what that. Jennifer Lawrence never hears in this movie? Like, thank you <laughs> for. And we mentioned earlier, she really treats these intruders with more kindness than they deserve, and they respond back to her with. Um, at best, they're neutral. The best treatment she receives is just neutral. Yeah. If they're not actively nasty towards her. Yeah. Like she's a servant. Yeah. Well, and that's before yeah. things really yeah. go to well, town. Well, that's where also, like, I thought of a little bit of Buñuel, too. Because I've, I've seen a lot of his movies where a lot of, like, the sexual politics are extremely tense and almost, like this bizarre comedy where you're sometimes laughing but not really laughing. Mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not quite sure what else I want to say the, without Did you guys notice a motif with water? Water and also blood. Well. Well, liquids. Blood is obvious. I don't know so much about... I feel well, smart because I noticed the water. <laughs> I noticed, no, no, I, I noticed water, but I noticed it with other things. I noticed a lot of liquid as a running theme. Like, there's a... The, again, it might be in the spoilers. Every, but, but it's like every time you see a significant image, I think, in this film, or something, or a big event happens in this film, it usually has something to do with water. That, There's that scene with the sink. Yeah. And the broken pipes. Hmm. There is Jennifer Lawrence sees something in the toilet. Uh, I would have to see the movie again. You make she a good pours point. Uh, this, bu- this bucket down the bathtub. Uh hmm. Well, that's not necessarily yeah. that, that great. But then there's that one scene, like, towards two, two-thirds of the way through the film, uh, where everything's still normal, where it starts to rain, and the film pivots yeah. on that. You know what I just realized? You know who's going to have a field day with this movie? Like, I don't know when I'd see a Slavoj Zizek. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's dead to me, because of his comments about recent politics. Yeah, well, we won't... That doesn't mean he's not going to say something about the film. I'm not going to care what he has to say about the film. He's okay, fine. All right. Um, Now's a good time he, to give like uh, a bit of a a bit of a review and then move on to spoilers. I think. Yeah. One last thing I want to say though before we do that um, is almost like casting Javier Bardem as the in in this role a bit much because he's mm. as as a, as a performer. Again, we have a lot of close ups of him. He's such like an intense figure to see on a screen like he largely you know he mostly plays villains in movies if he plays like a romantic i can't think of another time since maybe like vicky christina barcelona where i saw him play like a romantic type and this isn't a romantic movie at all but i'm saying like where he wasn't like a killer or something like that. i think that's intentional to make you feel uncomfortable yeah yeah, you don't get a good feeling by staring at Javier Bardem. No, you don't. And it's not like he's ugly. It's not like he looks sinister. 
but he's got a face that hmm, it's the weird a, flatness of his face. Hmm, he does have a weird flatness. You, he has this very lo- he has this very long sort of flat nose, like it stretches very far from the from the from his forehead down. He to has the like a big OJ face. He, I find <laughs> that Javier Bardem has a lot of charisma. I right. find him a very charismatic actor, but. I'm also a little unnerved whenever I see him, yeah. which again is probably a factor of the role. Yeah, that he plays. but what I'm saying is, I wonder if you know. Again, and I liked him a lot in this movie. I wonder if it was almost just so on the nose to cast him like that. Kind of like the whole movie was so on the nose. It was just like everything is extreme now. Oh, <laughs> and it, it it gets yeah, it gets extreme to the point where, like I said, we'll get into it. But the last half hour of this movie, and I guess we can get into into reviews now. I do recommend this movie. Yes, right, I let's do. Give our like one yeah. our bullet point yeah. summary. This is a, this is the work of an artist, and I I really appreciate that. It's not, and it also is sometimes when you say that you might picture, like those super pretend. Again, I brought up Antichrist, and Lars von Trier is someone who's has a mixed uh, resume at best. And we won't go too much into I would refer some to of the it, things with him right now. Corey. I would refer to it as an oeuvre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dink. Uh, yes. Um, no, as far as the Aronofsky oeuvre, um, you know, I, I do like this a lot. I mean, I there's a lot about I'm still trying to settle with. I don't think I like the very ending, uh, or I don't know what I thought of the ending yet. I know it sounds weird, Maybe I, I, I'm, you know, because you, again, when you talked about how you, you watched Black Swan five days in a row. And on the I don't fifth know if, day, it really clicked. Yeah, but I don't know if I could do that with this movie. I think I would just, God, like, I think I'd rather go and jog. Wow. <laughs> wow. But, but no, but there is two thirds of this movie I actually thought were, I almost thought for a second, like, is this going to be like my top five of the year, top three. Like, I was really loving this movie. And then the last third, interesting. So that's my review. Corey. My review? Ah, Corey. I thought this movie was very bold, very creative, very thought-provoking, very entertaining, very well acted. Now, when it took the detour to Crazy Town in Act 3, and... This movie goes completely bonkers. I see, unlike Jack, I was wavering in the last third a little bit. Like, I wasn't with this movie every second in real time, but I found the very end very satisfying. So, Mm. I found the very end, like the very last scene, very satisfying and it kind of helped tie up the last third for me and helped me put it in context so in the moment i had trouble with some of the really crazy material but i thought the very end did a very good job of putting into context for me i loved this movie go see it yes i would also recommend seeing mother as soon as you can (laughs) because it's a really good aronofsky movie and it's pants on head crazy and also, um, everything escalates really quickly um, to for a meme. But um, as 
as a guy who's trying to write a difficult second novel, I also <laughs> empathize with the, the, the plot of the movie. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's me. Yup. I'm going to have that eventually. And so I was really into that. That's what I need, a woman. <laughs> I have a cat. I mean. No. No, that's that's not never, never mind. That okay. doesn't sound good. <laughs> Wait, park that, reverse it. Um, anyhow, so, um, yeah, so it's a really good movie. It's actually I never forget a pussy. <laughs> it's, I like it. Is, it's a kind of a, a very simple story, but at the same time, it's done with such extreme melodrama that it's sort of like hitting you in the brain with a hammer. And I've kind of got a headache right now, but it was an enjoyable headache. So I want you to go out and have the the equivalent of a cinematic pan-galactic gargle blaster with mother nice Andrew? uh this film is is so tense but it's the kind of tense that when it gets too tense you laugh because you have to release that tension yes again as Corey said it's kind of uh, it's a kind of cringy laugh but it doesn't become too uncomfortable until you reach the end the end is what's going to either make or break this for you yeah. Uh, go into it with an open mind and just experience it. And when you get to the end, uh, you're going to have something you'll remember for the rest of your life. Yeah. I mean, I would say that, like, I would rather a filmmaker go all out like this sometimes yeah. than, you know, sometimes filmmakers might want to try to keep it way too bottled up or go, like, on the normal path. Aronofsky never does that. I mean, this is a guy who. Again, just going back to his last movie, Noah, that was a Bible story that featured giant rock monsters. Yeah. Like, out of the never-ending story or something. Like, and I... And I respond to that. I do. Like, I, w I want more passion in mainstream movie making. That, you know, and God bless that he can... He somehow is, is able to keep a career like that going because it's sometimes hard to, like... You know, imagine if... Uh, like, we almost, in a way, like, maybe dodged... I'm not going to say we dodged a bullet, but maybe it's a good thing he never made the Wolverine. Or the Batman Year One. Well, the Batman Year One script, that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> that was its own ball of crazy, which, in a way, I almost want to see, just because that might be an interesting ball of crazy Batman movie, as opposed to, like, Batman v Superman or something. Yeah. So, anyway... Anyway. Let's move on to spoilers. Okay. And this is where things get good. Okay, so if you want to pause, uh, you might want to pause right now. I mean, are they gonna come back later, or are they just gonna pause now? They're gonna go. I, I, I they're gonna the go. Idea, they're gonna go cause a riot in the house. The, oh, okay. I think the idea is that you, uh, if you haven't seen it, you stop now, and then they come. If back. If you have seen it, you listen through the whole thing. Or if you don't care, uh, you, you just can listen come the whole back thing. and listen. If you really don't want it to be spoiled, then you know, uh, don't listen after this. Okay, good. Right. So pause now. All right. Uh, all right. Oh my god. This film. Why is there a beating heart behind the walls? Because she's connected that, to the house. That is, I guess so, yeah. That is not the important thing. The important thing is that this film uh, really plays things low key. 
two thirds of the way of the uh, of the film. We get a sense that things aren't quite normal, but everything is kind of down to earth for two thirds of the way through the film. When we get to that final third, Aronofsky lets loose and look at it one way or another, he kind of goes off the rails. Yeah, that's why I think the last half hour of this movie is one of the most insane things I've ever seen in a theater. And it's not like it was a hard left turn, because this film had already been kind of sinister to begin with. It was, And there is a murder before everything gets totally bonkers. Yeah, yeah but everything takes place within the realm of reality. Yeah. Nothing about the first two-thirds of this film are... Well, there, are, there are little touches... That yeah. feel a little off. Like, for example, throughout here and there throughout the story, you see Jennifer Lawrence will get, uh, her character will get really tense and, like, feeling like she's a little woozy. And she'll go into the bathroom and make herself some type of, like, she'll she'll pour some type of dust she'll into a glass of water. She'll pour some yellow powder into a glass of water and drink it, and then she's fine. And it almost looked like the yellow powder in the water had, like, electrical energy or something like that. It just kind yeah. of dissolved really fast. It was like a volatile... And they never powder. say what that is. That was a question that... That was one of those things, like, out of a Lynch movie, where it's just, we're not going to explain this. You just have to kind of intuitively feel it. And then, and then she it. throws it away at the two-thirds point, and we never see it again. Yeah. yeah there are a lot of little things that maybe... I'm not going to say I would watch this, like, again, like you, five days in a row or something like that. I would want to see it again just... For little things like, again, you talked about water. You know, she, she looks in the toilet at one point and it gets clogged because Ed Harris's lung or it's heart is in it? It's heart, yeah. Some yeah. fleshy thing is stuck in the toilet. Yeah, it squirts out some blood, it squeaks, and it goes down the The toilet. other thing, too, I just thought this, you know, because I was talking about Rosemary's Bale, that repulsion. Mm. Have you ever seen that? I've seen Repulsion. Where, like, you know, you have that movie where the first half is all pretty normal, and then the second half is just Catherine Deneuve going insane in this apartment. Yeah. But uh, you get a clear sense that everything that she sees is a product of her disturbed mind. Yeah. In, in Mother, it doesn't seem like the odd things are just because Jennifer Lawrence is crazy. And it feels organic to the house. Yeah, and then in, and then when everything goes crazy at the end, it's just like, no, reality is just bending this way because Darren Aronofsky wanted it this way. And it's excessive. Uh, it, it gets, it turns, it, it, it yeah. Uh, it, uh, <laughs> you know what? It turns into a Jodorowsky film, but instead of being played for laughs, it's played straight dark. It's played like, uh, it's like Jodorowsky on steroids. It's, Almost like the nihilism of Fight Club or something. Yeah, so we get a new crowd who are obsessed with the poet's new work. Yeah, Javier Bardem has put out a new book of poetry, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence is about to have his baby. They publish the book, and then people start coming to the house in droves. Now, the great thing is that there's a whole huge buildup of, I've got to write, and I can't write, I've got writer's block, and then when she gets pregnant, he's like, oh, I'll write my masterpiece, and he writes his masterpiece, and then he shows it to her, and it's the size of a placemat in a diner, and like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's literally one <laughs> sheet of paper. What's also interesting, though, is that, like, you think that she just... Oh my god, I didn't realize it. That was supposed to be the whole thing? That was yeah. the whole poem. Yeah. What? Yeah. The emperor has no clothes. I didn't see it all this whole time. I must be a fool. It's okay. It was uh, it was the uh, it was the poem that uh, 
Ben writes for uh, what's her name in it. <laughs> um, for Beverly. Yeah. It was what Scarlett Johansson said to Bill Murray. <laughs> Austin, so, uh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, and this these new um, droves of fans become um, a violent cult who, over the course of the film, destroy the house, um, kill each other, cannibalize a baby. Yes. Oh, one thing. I was totally, you know, on board with most of this crazy. However, umbilical cords are a thing, Darren. (laughs) (laughs) And also, like, placentas. Like, you look at, like, I know it was like a... a, Jennifer Lawrence ate the placenta. But the thing is that this is what a- she ate it. <laughs> we don't see that. That's a thing uh, that living beings do. Mother is seen missing the movie. <laughs> There's a lot of times where something's happening, and then all of a sudden something else happens that seems like it should be further along in time, but no, it's happening right Some, there next to it. Yeah, he shows Javier Bardem shows her the poem, and as soon as she's done reading it. His publisher calls and says, all right, we love it. It's good. Now, here's the thing that we, since we're getting the spoilers, here's where I'm going to just dive right into this. I I think this whole movie is just basically one gigantic fucking metaphor. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah, I know. I I know you're so shocked. My monocle popped right off. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's why I also brought up Antichrist, because that was... Also, and again, I like this a lot more than Antichrist. That movie was just a garbage. G- yeah, I, I don't like that. You movie guys at all. haven't seen Antichrist. No. Never seen. If it. you it's ever garbage. see it, I'll be. There is one fun part in that movie it involves a fox that talks to <laughs> yeah. and says, "Chaos reigns." Um, but uh, but no, but, but I mean, I yeah. When you movie. talk about how Corey that this is like a extremely you know this feels like a very super personal, almost therapy session type movie for Aronofsky. And now it's starting to think about it where he, even though it's, even though the main character is technically Jeffrey Lawrence, he must see himself in the Javier Bardem role as like the creator of this work that gets adored and all these throngs of fans come to him and it... But then he's also, um... A narcissistic parasite who utterly destroys the thing he loves. Yeah. I yeah. mean, Jennifer. I mean, we're in spoiler territory, yeah. so yeah. let's go to town. Jennifer Lawrence is he. The last scene in the movie, he literally rips her heart out after she has been, after she has watched her newly born child be stolen from her and eaten. Not then, before its neck is snapped. Oh, and we hear the snapping. Jesus. That was, oh my God. So, I rarely gasp in films. I, 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 I gasped and my shocking. mouth stayed open for about five minutes. Then the crowd viciously beats her. Oh God. The crowd viciously beats her, begins stripping her. Javier Bardem intervenes, but then... She goes to light the house on fire to burn it down. She horribly burns herself in the process. And in the last scene, Javier Bardem says, I have one last thing to take from you, your love. And he literally rips her heart out of her chest. And then it transforms into a diamond, the same diamond we've seen earlier in the film. So we know that Javier Bardem periodically harvests 
these starry-eyed women. Periodically, yeah. this whole pa- pattern's gonna happen all over again. Yeah, yeah I mean, we see that because we see his new woman. That's the very last scene of the movie. But the ve- his new woman. He's and the very out. first scene of the movie is a different woman burning up in the flames. Yeah. Yeah. It's the very first shot of the film. I should have. Yeah. So what? What we're what we basically learn it, is it, that. Javier Bardem is just a toxic black hole that sucks everything in and yeah. burns it to cinders. And the thing is, the film, like, up, even when things got crazy, I was with the film. And it was during those crazy moments when I laughed the most. And I was like, fantastic. I'm, I, I don't know where this ride is going, but I'm on the ride. I'm loving it. Yeah, I mean, there, then, there is an element there. But. And then... The baby scene happens, and the beating happens, and I'm like, this isn't fun anymore. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean that's film, by design. The film almost lost me. What? <laughs> and, I, and I was just like, uh, no. Nah, it's is, really this, this hard to take. This is getting hard to watch. It's hard to take, but at the same time, I, I'm not going to say I was surprised by it. I was shocked, but again, this is, you know, this is the guy who, in like the last, like, ten minutes of Requiem for a Dream, just also threw you into the ringer with, like, ass to ass, and... But you get that. And that's... And even though... It's not as cohesive in that, Mother as it was in Requiem for a Dream. Even though that's in, an intense montage, there was nothing... I... It was intense, but it was the natural... It, it felt like the natural outcome of all three of these people's lives. Yeah, I think man the, yeah. has infected arm gets it cut off. Man in prison throat vomits into a vat of laundry. Woman who's been having sex for drugs is part of this orgy for, for millionaires. And, and then Morrison gets electroshocked. Yeah, and then it's just like, well, how else did we expect that to end? Yeah, it, but it, you know, mother just is just. Just like we had no, we were hurtling into the stratosphere yeah. with that, and then and at the top of the stratosphere, we saw I, a bloody baby and a beat up I Jennifer just, Lawrence. I just pictured, I just pictured Darren Aronofsky sitting at his computer, like typing shit out, like Stephen King does in the last while, like hundred pages of one of his books, while neglecting which, some woman who <laughs> going back to it, Corey. <laughs> this is like. If it the book was translated into like the film. <laughs> I mean, it does go from a book signing immediately into a war zone. So I mean it's kinda all bets are off at that point. That's me. why I don't know how I feel about that last thirty minutes. That's why I said it's interesting, because I'm still trying to wrestle with my thoughts about it, where like the intensity is incredible in terms yeah. of the filmmaking, but at the same time I also wonder if it's not as cohesive with everything else that came before. It's because the imagery becomes absurd. Yeah. I, every, I, 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 everything that we've seen so far is, even when it was intense in that murder scene, it was it pretty, it was, you know, there was nothing, there was nothing, like, otherworldly about that. The realism made it shocking, whereas uh, it almost felt like it was, and I, I'm just going to criticize it, I felt like it was trying too hard. I think that the, the creative events happened and pushed the movie forward. That, like, the, the boring part in the middle was just sort of chugging along, sort of like the magic right to get to the, the writing of the poem and the making of the baby. And then when you have the baby and the poem get into the world, that's when 
the spell is completed and it changes things and it, it spirals people out of control because mm. they're so excited that you have these two new things brought into the world that causes a frenzy. You you make a good point. I mean, if we're all, if we're building up to the birth of this couple's son and to the cre- and to the writing of the poem, then yeah, that's when I all, all we've had all this this turbulence, uh, which got pretty intense. But it wasn't. But you know, nothing else had happened when it finally happens. Yeah, that's when things get crazy. Looking at it that way, I understand it a little better. Uh, yeah. You know, it just it does get it. It borders on laughable sometimes hmm. until things get serious. Yeah, and it's and then it's like even if you were laughing during those scenes, as you reach that climax, it's just you know it's it's a, it, you it's, know what's it's your stomach drops out. something I just remembered though. It, it it almost I think it was like almost it almost felt like a throwaway line, but at one point doesn't Jennifer Lawrence say to Javier Bardem like, and I think this is our after when she's she might already be pregnant. But she says to him something like, uh, I guess we'll get ready for the apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was him doing his foreshadowing right there. Yeah. I agree with you. The violence, until we get to the baby snapping and the Jennifer Lawrence beating, the violence is so absurd and so, yeah. like, fantastical, it's kind of funny. So there's this scene where Kristen Wiig is a cameo as Javier Bardem's publicist, and there's this scene where she's just casually shooting a bunch of people in the head who have bags on their heads, yeah. and it's funny. And there are these scenes where soldiers are paratrooping into the house, yeah. and it's kind of funny. And It's, I, it's like drawing out... It's kind of like drawing out uh, everything that we've seen so far, like with Ed Harris and and Michelle Pfeiffer. We just we 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 draw that out and we magnify it to its most absurd degree. Yeah, we go from passive aggression to actual aggression. Yeah, mm, that's actually now when you put it that way, maybe <laughs> ludicrous <that's>... aggression, <laughs> ludicrous speed. <laughs> Can I? I was with it ultimately because as in the moment. There were times where I thought, there is no way this madness is going to be wrapped up into a satisfactory ending. But I actually did find the last scene as incredibly depressing as it was. Like, a satisfactory um, way to tie everything together. Because it gave all, it grounded all the insanity into some type of plot. Because I... I don't like crazy for the sake of crazy. I want to know why... Yeah, you, the cra- you and I have a, have a slightly different taste. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know why the crazy is happening. You're like Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> well, well, no, I, I could get in a way why the crazy was happening because, again, like, as a kind of insane horror movie, which, uh, you know, in a... I, I almost wondered if maybe this would be a good double bill with Get Out. Even though they're very different in terms of approach and tone, they have like the same thing where it's all in one house and just lots of things are escalating and getting like even like crazier. Um, but whereas Get Out, it felt like a release at the end in like a way that was almost like, like, oh, thank God. This was like a release in another way where, um, again, I, 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 I love the ambition of it. I, I really do. Like, I, I really love how explosive 
some of that as everything keeps building and more and more people come in um i just am still grasping with okay i get the i get the meaning behind it but do i was it meaningful for me it is made it's up there with one of the most downbeat movies i've ever seen mm. because at the end of the day um it's just watching the Jennifer Lawrence character get ground into literally nothing. She collapses into ash when Javier Bardem rips her when, heart as, out. As Javier Bardem, who is basically God. He's life. <laughs> so, He's life, yes. And she's hope. I guess you I have guess. to ask That yourself. was the thing that bothered me. At the very end. The only thing that bothered me about the final scene is apparently they wrote dialogue to just spell out that's what, what I, that whole I, thing yes, was about. That's the thing. It's like, I'm life. You are hope. But even then, like, as Jennifer Lawrence is about to light that fuel on fire, she's like, I gave you everything and you gave it all away. And I'm like, well, he didn't have to say that. We get it. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, I kind of find that funny that he, Javier Bardem is the villain, but if you look at him, he's not acting in a conventional villainous manner. He's very friendly and altruistic, and he wants to share with everyone and just be everyone's friend, and he's like the super extrovert. But then you see that that um, situation he creates actually fucks over Jennifer Lawrence, the introvert who's just hopeful and wants to love him and support him in other so words, much. Again. In other words, uh, creating life, you when you try to create things, very bad... Uh, Collateral damage happens along the way. Strangers come to your house. <laughs> Don't write things. <laughs> yeah, I I thought this was a very good movie, but it's I think you have to be in the right mind frame for it because it's yeah. basically thematically watching a likable, sympathetic character get literally and figuratively ground into dust. Yeah, you do. So really it's just watching someone get dismantled, have every aspect of their being ca um, cannibalized by this, um, you know... This charismatic monster. Yes, this charismatic monster. He doesn't monster. even mean her harm, but, but everything he does is destructive to her. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't have ill intentions, but his intentions are profoundly selfish and self-centered. He's very cavalier towards the hurt that others inflict on Jennifer Lawrence. Like, yeah. that he does not try to avenge her or support her or protect her. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, he at one point, uh, you might have seen in the trailer, like, she's like, you know, what, what this, this man has, like, a, a picture of you in his suitcase. And his response is, what were you looking at his suitcase for? <laughs> it's like not even the bad part yeah <laughs> considering so like considering that she's supposed to be his inspiration and you know quote hope you know he treats her like complete garbage through the whole thing mm. well or not garbage he, but like he, he, he doesn't he's, he, ne he's neglectful of well her. as you know and yeah he well she kind of points it out to him near the very end as well where you know he, he doesn't really love her he loves her loving him which is often, like, a thing that comes with narcissism. The fact that, like, we have a president who's kind of like that. I wonder what Trump would think if he watched this. He couldn't make it through this movie. He probably wouldn't understand it. He'd be like, eh, too bad. You didn't do it. <laughs> Try again. <laughs> I don't know. 
All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah, so it's one like I said once again, I'll be curious going through more critical reactions of this now after seeing it. That's almost more what I'm interested in at this point. Looking at like trying now, to figure out more you, things about it. You have your opinion now. You want to compare notes. I do. And I, well, I, I kind of want to do that too. I want to. I mean, Red Letter Media is not going to do a review of this. They might, but maybe not like it's right going to be interesting seeing what other people think. Film spotting has got to review this, right? Oh yeah, yeah. They just had it out. Uh, the AV Club. Wait, the review is out did. Now. Yeah, we have to listen to it. Okay, good. I feel um, bad that the the idea channel is gone now because they would do a really good episode on this. The nerd writer, I think, would do a good one too. I would say about this movie, it's not my favorite movie of the year, um, and I I think it, among the Aronofsky films I've seen, it might be one of the more problematic ones. But it also has such great ambition, and mm. the, the again Jennifer Lawrence is just giving it her all here in such a way that I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I definitely do think it's, you should go see this on a big screen with a good audience who may or may not respond at the end positively. Don't worry about that. Um, but you are seeing somebody working, you know, it's not like an indie movie. This has, you know, a lot of really good big name actors really do delivering great work. budget for this movie by any chance? I would actually, I'm not sure, but I would think it actually wouldn't cost that much aside from the actor's salaries this and seems, some of the special yeah, effects. Yeah, this seems Because like it's a... all in one house. It's almost like, it's like the most twisted, surreal bottle film I've ever <laughs> seen. I couldn't believe a studio made this as I was watching it. I was like... It's very heartening that in 2017, a studio would actually make this. I really hope the movie does well financially. Yeah. Any you guys? It's got Stephen McCaddy in it. Who is that? Stephen McCaddy, you know, we had this discussion at the end of the picture. He's a great character actor. He pops in things like the last season of Orphan Black and 300 and Watchmen. He has a real, like, face of um, a guy who appears in westerns. A, a history of violence. Um, <laughs> yes. yes. History of violence. and uh, Oh, which Ed Harris was in. Oh, yes. Yeah. Ed Harris. Ed Harris is terrific in this movie. Um, he's, I noticed you kind of chuckling a lot when he was on screen saying things. Mm. Um, and I love Ed Harris when he's in a darkly comic role, like, again, a history of violence. <laughs> it, it, um, I'm not gonna say it's that type of same character, but his, his character, you don't know his full intentions until a certain point. And it looks like there's a hole in his back. Remember in the scene where he was vomiting and like yeah yeah, it looked yeah. Like, yeah. that never came back no but I think that they the Javier Bardem took out his heart through his back and they put it in the toilet and that's why huh. so what do you think wow, the, here's think one last question before we wrap up like so again Javier Bardem is supposed to be life and Jennifer Lawrence's hope what is he the old man cancer ah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, he's, he's the cancer on the house. God, they're talking about this movie, I feel a little pretentious. It's metaphorical. I know. <laughs> all right, I've said all I had to say. All right, wow. so if you guys have any thoughts, and hopefully you do, uh, you could send your emails to wagesofcinema at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Wages of Cinema and uh, Facebook at the Wages of Cinema Podcast. Matt, where can you be found? I can be found at mattvcatania.wordpress.com. That's M-A-T-T 
T-H-E-C-A-T-A-N-I-A, and then the, that WordPress.com. So, yeah, look me up there. And I would say, and I don't know, Corey, do you want to give out your Facebook? <laughs> you don't need to follow me on social media. I can be found either in my apartment or in a political science classroom near you, if by near you, um, it's you're in New York. York City. Yeah, so if you want to have more of Corey, you'll just have to pay, like, the... Uh, thousands of dollars to take if one you of really classes. love hearing me talk you can come sit in on my constitutional law class my congress class my intro to american government class the more the merrier all right that's enough i'm taking you for granted now- <laughs> so with that, all that said thank you so much for listening to us and uh, uh please be careful who you let into your house and sit on your sink and um go into rooms that you shouldn't be going into and messing with uh, crystal hearts and stuff like that. And again, don't write anything. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. just don't create anything. Just, you know, maybe maybe having just nothing but Star Wars might be a good idea for a little while. But go see this movie. Yes, go see this movie. And with that, I'm Andrew. I'm Jack. And The Wages of Cinema is... (laughs) Good night. Good night. Never enough.